Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How does that strike you? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Would it shock you to know that it's the Apostle Paul who said that? Who said we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is the same man who wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. So which is it? Works or grace? Well, the extreme Calvinist insists that salvation is entirely in the hands of God. That God, in fact, picks and chooses whom he will save, arbitrarily condemns others, and there's nothing you can do to change it. Either you are the recipient of grace or you're not. The Arminian goes to the other extreme. He says a man has to seek God out and prove himself to be acceptable to God. And then he has to hang in there, battling sin on his own until death. These are two primary schools of thought in the evangelical world about our salvation. One says, it's all of God. The other says... It's all of man. I think Paul would say, neither is true. Because Paul saw a need for cooperation in salvation. He understood that it takes both God and man working together for someone to come into a saving relationship with God. And it takes both to maintain that saving relationship. We must work together in harmony with God. Now, it's true. God initiated salvation. He reached down and sought us out. He made it possible for us to accept His Son and thereby become recipients of the gift of eternal life. And when we said yes to his gift and accepted it, he saved us. He justified us. Justification. That's the past aspect of salvation. But that's just the beginning of our new life in him and what he wants to accomplish in and through us. The present tense of salvation has to do with sanctification. What's happening to us and through us right now as we become more and more like His Son. It has to do with completing what God has started. And that is the focus of our text for today. When Paul says we are to work out our salvation, he's not saying we have to work to get it. He's saying we have to see to completion what God has started. 
And there are different aspects of our present salvation that need our attention and our cooperation with God. And these Paul alludes to as he expands the idea of working out our salvation. The first, quite simply, has to do with making progress. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think some of the confusion that stems from this verse vanishes when we get a clearer picture of the word Paul used when he says we are to work out our salvation. It almost sounds as if he's saying we have to figure it out. And then we have to set about earning salvation. But in the Greek, to work out carries with it the idea of bringing to completion. Paul is simply saying, don't go halfway. Go all the way. Grow. Mature. Develop. Make progress in your Christian life. You know, God started the process. He changed us. And He gave us a new birth. Now we need to develop into a finished product. Perhaps we should think of ourselves as a picture that God, as an artist, has placed on an easel. He's trying to finish us into a picture of His Son, but there's a problem. We keep jumping off the easel. We need to cooperate. We need to work with Him in finishing that picture. Now, we've already seen how important it is to live up to the exalted name of Jesus. If we've taken His name as our own, calling ourselves Christians, we must not bring reproach upon His name. We must follow through and become all that that name implies. That's why Paul says we need to work out, bring to completion our salvation. And he says we're to do it with fear and trembling. That we need to take seriously this matter of maturing. Now, I really don't think the fear in trembling speaks of fear of punishment. Because perfected, completed love, the kind of relationship we are to have with our Heavenly Father, casts out that kind of fear. I believe our fear should simply be that we might grieve our Heavenly Father. And such fear can be a powerful motivator. You know, when growing up, I was afraid to do anything Mom wouldn't approve of. But my fear wasn't based on what Mom would do to me. It was based on what my actions would do to her. I didn't want to disappoint her. I didn't want to break her heart. Likewise, 
We should fear grieving and disappointing our Heavenly Father. He brought us into this world and even made possible for us to be born again. He has big plans for us. We ought to want to fulfill those plans. But again, this is a cooperative effort. It's not all up to us. That's why Paul goes on to make it very clear that it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God is at work in our lives, giving us the will and enabling us to become all that He wants us to be. The word for at work here is from the word we get uh, the English energy. I think it's simply saying God energizes us to grow. He gives us what we need to become what He wants us to be. But we have to want to grow. We have to want to utilize all that God has made available to us. We have to want to be in His Word. We want to have to be in fellowship with His people. We want to be in full surrender to His Lordship. God's provision has to be applied to our life on a daily basis. We're involved in this thing. George Mueller, a British evangelist and philanthropist in the 1800s, summarized this well when he said, The believer is called to self-activity, to the active pursuit of the will of God, to the promotion of the spiritual life in himself, to realization of the virtues of the Christian life, and to a personal application of salvation. He must work out what God in His grace has worked in. I like that. We must work out what God has worked in. We must cooperate with God to progress in our Christian life and to complete what He started when He offered us eternal life and divine sonship. We've got to cooperate with God. And the next aspect of salvation that needs cooperation has to do with purity. Continuing on. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, God has cleansed us from our sin. We've been washed whiter than snow. We have been born again as blameless and innocent, pure children of God. That's what God did for us when we accepted His offer to cleanse us in the watery grave of baptism. But he didn't stop there. In addition to our initial cleansing, he's made it possible for us to maintain our purity. Unless we cut ourselves off from him through constant and deliberate sin or an act of the will, he keeps us pure by constantly covering our sins 
with the blood of His Son. But we do have a part to play in this. Not only do we have to stay in a close relationship of faith, trusting that He will keep us clean, we have to make sure that the purity and innocence we've been given is visible in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We must prove to the world that we are children of God. We must live above reproach. We must prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent. No one should be able to point a finger at us and say, who is he trying to kid? To be blameless is a really neat word. It means to be without handles. Without obvious sinful behavior that can be laid hold of and then held up for all to see. A sinful lifestyle that can define you. There shouldn't be a handle in your life that says, look what he is. And it's not real. And the word used for innocent means to be pure. To have unmixed motives. To be sincere. People must be able to see that we're for real. And that we're sincere in our desire to serve God. So how do you prove that to someone? Is it by coming to church every day? How do you prove it? How do you, how do you live above reproach? You know, we haven't achieved perfection. We're going to stumble and occasionally sin. And chances are that that sin or its consequences will become visible. So how do we convince people that our sins have been and are in the process of being constantly forgiven? And that in spite of our failures, we are sincere in our desire to be what God wants us to be. How do we keep them from finding fault with our life? Even though we do occasionally sin. Well, Paul's answer might be a bit surprising. He says we prove our purity by doing all things without grumbling or disputing. How often do we grumble about everything? You know, when God's people grumble and dispute, they reveal serious spiritual problems. Grumbling shows dissatisfaction with God's provision, and the world can pick up on that pretty quickly. It's what the children of Israel did in the wilderness. God led them out of slavery. He destroyed the enemy that pursued them. He fed them with manna and quail. They were on their way to the promised land. And what did they do? They grumbled. They murmured. They weren't satisfied. They thought God wasn't doing enough for them. He should do even more. Such grumbling is enough to make anyone doubt one's sincerity. Their motive 
for serving God. And it's a small step from grumbling to disputing. Our English word dialogue comes from the Greek that's used here. It carries with it the idea of reasoning and then expressing an opinion and then finally arguments and disputes. Dialogue that gets heated. When God's people start disputing, arguing among themselves, it demonstrates they really haven't given up their rights. They haven't died to self. They still want their own way. All their talk about Jesus being Lord of their life is flushed down the toilet. Jesus isn't number one. Self still is. When that happens, our witness is blown. And that brings us to the next step of salvation that requires cooperation. Proclamation. Just back up again. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. We've got a message to get out. Initially, God Himself revealed the good news. He told of His love and He showed it. He then helped us understand what He had done, why He had done it, and how it should affect us. He did so by sending His Holy Spirit to inspire the authors of the New Testament. Now it's up to us to pass it on. To proclaim the good news to others. We must now cooperate with Him in getting the message out and to others. It's not to stop with us. Paul said his work would have been in vain if the Philippians hadn't shared the gospel with others. And he expected them to proclaim it in a couple of ways. Those who have received the good news are to be lights in the world. They are to be luminaries. The same word that's used of the sun and the moon and the stars. That's to be us. Our life is to light up the way for others to see Christ. This has been called example evangelism. And what an awesome responsibility that is. Some years ago, a member of our body was at a, a reunion, a high school reunion, and he was telling some of his classmates he'd become a Christian. And they said, well, really, really? You know, what do you mean? How do we know? And he had the audacity to say, well, just watch me. <laughs> Would you do that? Would you be willing to tell your friends and neighbors and coworkers to just watch you? We should. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's not egotistical. That's putting some flesh and blood into our faith. Are you willing to tell somebody to be like you so they can be like Jesus? Woo! 
chew on that one for a while. There's even more. Beyond that, we must hold forth the word of life. The word that is translated here, holding fast, is actually better translated holding up or holding forth. We are to hold it up, the word of life. We are to proclaim the word of God to others. This is an aspect of salvation that we all need to cooperate in, not just preachers and Sunday school teachers. Every Christian must be sharing their faith. Every Christian must be proclaiming the word of life. By the life he lives and by actually telling people about it. Sharing that good news is the way God reaches the world. And using us is the primary way God has of offering salvation to others. So he needs our help to get the job done. He didn't send angels to proclaim the good news other than initially. Now we've been sent. We've got a job to do. We've got to cooperate with God in getting the message out. And then there's one more aspect of our salvation that requires cooperation. And I stretched it just a little bit so I could have another P. If you haven't noticed, my points are all P, P, P. That's pleasure. Verses 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. And share your joy with me. The Christian life should bring joy. Our salvation should bring pleasure to life. But in order for that to happen, we have to cooperate with God. Have you ever wondered why some Christians are always happy? And able to rejoice while others look as if they have been weaned on that proverbial dill pickle? (laughs) The difference, I'm convinced, is the extent to which each has given themselves to Christ and to His work. The more we give of ourselves in service to Him and to others in His name, the more joy we discover. Paul was able to rejoice because he gave his all to Christ. He was ready to be poured out as a sacrifice to the one who had sacrificed his all for him. And that brought him joy. And his willingness to serve others by teaching them, increasing their faith, brought him joy. Well, he wants us to be able to rejoice in the same way. So he urges that we too find joy by giving ourselves completely to the cause of Christ. Joy, true true happiness. I don't think happiness is a bad word. Happiness is a byproduct, or more accurately, a gift given to us by God. 
The more we give ourselves to Him and to His work, the more He's able to bless us with joy. And the more joy He gives us, the more we have to share with others. There's nothing, nothing more satisfying, so amazing, than to know that God is using you to accomplish something that has eternal consequences. And we've all been called to that. That's what brings life joy. That's what brings a real sense of of pleasure in life, knowing that we have a purpose for being here and that what we do matters. It brings us happiness. We ought to be happy people. Even in the midst of some struggle. We have to work together to get it. We have to work together with God and with each other to find the pleasure in life He wants us to have. The Scriptures weren't given to to restrain us. They were given to enable us to, to become all that God wants us to be. Get in the Word. Stay in the Word. Stay in fellowship with God's people. Celebrate His goodness. Quit grumbling and quit disputing. Quit whining. Start celebrating what you have in Christ. And if you don't think you've got anything to celebrate, get more involved in doing something for Him. So you can find something to celebrate. So your life will will get exciting. Because you know you're bringing pleasure to your Heavenly Father. And that brings you pleasure in life. We have work to do. And we have to work together and with each other to find the pleasure in life God wants us to have. That's the way to happiness. And not, not happiness someday in heaven, but happiness right here Right now. God wants to give it to us. He gave it to Paul. Even when he was a prisoner. He had joy. So don't say, well, I don't know. Things are kind of tough. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He had great joy. He had happiness. He was ready to be poured out as an offering. And he knew he had made a difference in the lives of some people. And they were making a difference in the lives of other people. And that brought him great joy, even in prison. His happiness wasn't dependent upon his circumstances. It was in spite of his circumstances. God wants us to have that kind of joy right here and right now. But we have to Let him make it possible. He can't give us joy unless we give ourselves totally to him and to one another. So Paul tells us to work out our own salvation. To cooperate with God in progress, purity, proclamation, and pleasure. 
If you do, you'll bring to completion what God started when he saved you. You'll be what he wants you to be. So let's take the challenge as we enter a new year. Let's make this a year of progress, purity, proclamation, and pleasure. And it can be if we'll surrender our all to him.